Father, thank you so much. Thanks for your presence here with us. Thanks for who you are, God, and that you're not like we would expect. Um, thank you so much for the cross and for the depths of your love. And we just ask, God, that you would meet with us today uh, through your word. God, that your word would bring life and healing and freedom and peace, renew our minds through your word and transform our hearts. So Lord, we just ask that you'd speak. Would you use me today in that, Father? And we just acknowledge your spirit and just say that we need you and ask, ask for you to do what only you can do, Lord. So just give ourselves to you in this time in your name, Jesus. Amen. Cool. So that, that was just great. Um, and it's amazing. Hey, like it's, when you stop and think about it, it's pretty weird that we're here and we're so moved and touched by a Jewish guy that was nailed to a tree 2,000 years ago. Like, that's strange, right? Like, that's, that's not what you would expect. It's, it's, it's countercultural. It's different. Oh, the Bible even talks about the cross being foolishness. It's this, it's this weird, torturous moment in history that's also, like, the most beautiful moment in history. That when you see, it reveals God's heart. It reveals who he is. And it's just full of wonder and beauty and awe. And it's so amazing. And we still celebrate it every week, 2,000 years later. So we're, we're continuing this series in the way. And this is, that's the way of Jesus. So we're looking at him and we're saying he's the one that's died for us. He's the one that's given us life. He's the one that's come to us. But he doesn't just call us to, to believe in him and then that's it. But he calls us to believe and follow his way. And that his way is different. And today we've called this Jesus Upside Down Kingdom in the way that the cross is so different to what we would expect. Jesus' values, Jesus' way, Jesus, the, the, the life he calls us to live is often upside down. We might even call it, though, it's actually right way up, that the world is upside down. But, but if we sort of think, what does our culture normally say? What are our values that we normally look to are quite different to the values and the way of Jesus. Um, so we started this series a few weeks ago, and we were talking about Jesus preparing in the wilderness. We're talking about how he trusted his father and how the enemy comes and tries to break our trust in God, but the thing to do is to continue to trust him daily. And then Dave shared about Jesus announcing the kingdom, that, that Jesus come and said, repent is in the sense of like, turn to me for the kingdom of heaven is here, that Jesus actually come to bring a massive change in history, that people can actually come and enter God's reign God's rule, and then we pray in the Lord's Prayer, right? we pray that, 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 um, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that heaven would actually come to earth. And this is what starts with Jesus. And then Jesus starts teaching. And basically, most, the rest of this series, we're going to look at a big chunk of Jesus' teaching from Matthew 5 through to 7. We're going to break it up over the year. But this is right at the start of Matthew 5, like John said. And this is Jesus introducing, starting to say, what does it look like to live now the kingdom's here? What does it look like to live with God as king, with Jesus as king? We've, we've been forgiven. God loves us. We know him, but it doesn't stop there. Now we get to live in his kingdom and advance his kingdom. So what, what does that look like? This is um, what one author, N.T. Wright, he describes the kingdom sort of just setting up before we look at the Beatitudes. He says this, the life of heaven, the life of the realm where God is already king, is to become the life of the world, transforming the present earth into the place of beauty and delight that God always intended. Right? God made this world and he dwelt with people and then we fell 
and now the world and heaven are separate. But God's plan is not that we die and either go to heaven or hell. God's plan is to bring heaven to earth and renew the earth and remove everything that is evil. Those who follow Jesus are to begin to live by this rule here and now. So we say, this is what God's doing. It started in Jesus. Now we live according to that. That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount and these Beatitudes in particular. They are a summons to live in the present in the way that will make sense in God's promised future because that, promise has, that future has arrived in the present in Jesus of Nazareth. So God's kingdom is coming. It's come in Jesus. How do we live differently in light of this? It may seem upside down, but we are called to believe with great daring that is in fact the right way up. Try it and see. So this is, this is different, right? So there's the, the world that is separate to God, the kingdom of the world, but then God's kingdom is coming where God is in charge, where God reigns, and this is the future reality that starts with Jesus, but how do we live in light of that? In light of that, that is, that is where everything is heading towards what does it look like to live and follow the way of Jesus? So Jesus starts this sermon where he's gonna talk through lots of different things, but he starts with what's called the eight Beatitudes or the eight blessings. And there's some differences of opinion as to how to interpret this. I did a lot of study on this to sort of land and where I've ended up landing. But this is, this is pretty much the traditional view. This is the most common view. I think makes the most sense that this is what these two authors describe, that what Jesus is describing is core values of the kingdom or norms of the kingdom. That, and, and as you'll see, these values are upside down in the sense that they're quite different to what you would normally think. That, but, but these are the things that Jesus holds up. And, and as John read out, he says, blessed are these people. And this is not, he's not saying, try really hard to do this so that you get blessed. But it's more like the sense of blessed or favored or recommended. Like, like these are the values. These are, this is what I want. This is what's good. Like, this is the way to live. Like, Jesus is holding these up. So these are like values. So what we're going to do is, is go through eight of these. We could talk about one of these a week for eight weeks. Like there's so much we could look at. So I'm gonna go really fast and cover these and then try and sort of get into what, what's really the heart of this and, and what God might be speaking to us today. So this is Matthew 5, like John read out. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, so this is after Jesus has come, he's, he's declared the kingdoms here and then he's been healing people, he's been delivering people. So all these people around, they've seen that something different is happening in Jesus and now he sits down to teach his followers. So the people who have trusted him, believed in him, and he says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Like that is pretty different, right? Like if, 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 if you think, who would we say is blessed? We would not say the poor in spirit, but the very first value of the kingdom that Jesus gives is to be poor in spirit. This is so countercultural, right, that there's, there's even some commentators that think Jesus isn't really saying that this is a value. He's saying something else. It, no, we, we shouldn't be poor in spirit. That seems too strange. But when we look at other scriptures and we look at, look at what Jesus calls us to, we see that this actually is the starting place that God actually, and, and a value of the kingdom is actually to be at the end of ourselves and to see ourselves as spiritually poor because that is actually the reality. To, to actually grow in this kingdom that Jesus has brought, to do what he's called us to do, which is to advance this kingdom, we have nothing to offer. 
we, we can't do anything. We can't change our hearts spiritually. We can't change other people's hearts spiritually. We can do a whole lot of physical things, but, but the actually thing that matters, we actually have no resources. We're completely bankrupt. We have nothing at all to offer. And Jesus says, when you see that, when you're thinking that way, blessed, that that's good. That's the place to start, to start poor in spirit, aware of our desperate need for God. And we know that's where we start, right, when we come to Him. When we come to Him, we see that we know Him and need Him and we believe Him. But then it's easy sort of to think, okay, now we're good, now we've moved on, we don't need to be poor in spirit anymore. But no, Jesus says, stay there. The whole of our walk with Him, we stay poor in spirit, which doesn't mean we're sad all the time. We rejoice and we're grateful for the things He gives us and we celebrate, but there's always more. And we need him more. We never get past needing him. We always need him. And to actually do and grow in the ways that he wants us to and that is available in him, we desperately need him. This is how Andrew Murray puts it. And, and Jesus like, talks about this as well when Jesus talks about the vine and to abide in him, that without him we can do nothing. We have to stay connected to him. Andrew Murray says this, however strong the branch becomes, however far it reaches round the home, out of the side of the vine, all its beauty and all its fruitfulness ever depend on that one point of contact where it grows out of the vine. So be it with us too. So we, we will grow, with Jesus connected to him, we grow spiritually, but we never get to a place where we're like, okay, I can package up my spiritual growth. I'm good now. Like I don't need to depend anymore. I don't need to be poor in spirit anymore. I'll just hold on to this. Like we cannot do that. Like we stay dependent. We stay poor. We stay aware of our desperate need and stay in that place continually. Jesus then says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, you think, what? Like, we don't wanna mourn, especially our culture, right? Like, culturally, we don't like mourning at all. We wanna feel good. We don't wanna feel sad. We don't wanna feel grief. We just wanna be happy. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. And this is, again, like if we see our need for God, we see how far short we are from what we are designed to be and meant to be, the right response is to mourn. It's actually not only see it, but to feel it. And this is not like at all feeling guilt or feeling bad for past sins because, because God has forgiven us and he gives us grace and we're saved by his grace. But then when we see that we still sin and it hurts God and it hurts people, and there's still pain and there's still suffering in the world and it hurts God and it hurts people. Actually, the right response is to mourn. And I, I was thinking about this this week and I was thinking like, but we know that it's gonna get better, right? We know that God's gonna heal. We know that God's gonna restore. Like, like it doesn't make sense to mourn. We should just be happy. But if anybody knew that the most, it's Jesus, right? Jesus knew the true reality of God and who he is. Jesus knew that God's gonna restore the world but Jesus mourned. In fact, Jesus was called the man of sorrows. This is what D.L. Moody says about Jesus. When Christ came into the world, the first sound he heard was woe, the wail of those mothers in Bethlehem. And from the manger to the cross, he was surrounded with sorrow. We are told that he often looked up to heaven and sighed. I believe it was because there was so much suffering around him. It was on his right and on his left, everywhere on earth, and the thought that he had come to relieve the people of earth, their burdens, and so few would accept him, made him sorrowful. That 
mourning actually characterized Jesus' life. And that, that this is actually a value of the kingdom, to, to see the lack, to see the need, to see the pain, to see the suffering, and actually feel, let it affect our feelings and be grieved. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's actually, that's a high value in the kingdom. Then he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is kind of humble. Those who, those who prefer others, those who see others the way that God sees them, sees themselves the way that God sees them. And you think, this is really different to the world, right? Like the culture of the world says, blessed are the strong, the people who demand their way, the people who fight, the people who win. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, that this is a high value in his kingdom. And Jesus is described this way as well. And the interesting thing is the blessing, it is to, to be meek, it means to give up your rights, to not demand your own satisfaction, but to prefer others. And the only way this is possible is by trusting that God will actually defend you and protect you. And this is why the promise is the meek will inherit the earth. The meek will be the ones that rule with Jesus. You think the world would say those who dominate, those who fight, those who get the power are the ones who rule. But Jesus' kingdom says the meek, the humble, they are the ones who will inherit the earth when heaven and earth come together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, this is kind of cultural, right? We don't even like being hungry and thirsty. And we probably don't even often know what it means to be hungry and thirsty, right? Like, like we might not have breakfast before church and then we're like really hungry. But that's not like real hunger. Like, like I have no idea what real hunger is like or people... Who are, who are starving or people who are um, refugees. I have no idea what that feels like. But this is an intense hunger Jesus is talking about, which, which even then involves a level of pain, that, that he actually, the value is actually hunger and thirst for righteousness. And again, in Jesus, we're made righteous. We're right with him. This is not a guilt thing, but that we long for justice and righteousness for us to grow with God, for the world to be filled and made right the way that God sees it, that Jesus actually says, those who long for that will be filled with that. That's a blessing to, to live that way, but to embrace that involves embracing a pain and a thirst and a hunger. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is, this is not saying like you have to be merciful to get mercy. Like, if we're in the kingdom, right, we've received mercy. And when you receive mercy, you, you will show mercy. But I think it's just awesome that, as well, then the, the reward of showing mercy is also receiving more mercy. That, that, and this, this is the definition D.A. Carson gives of mercy here. Grace is a loving response when, when love is undeserved. And mercy is a loving response prompted by the misery and helplessness of the one on whom the love is to be showered. So this is giving to those who don't, not only don't deserve, but are maybe in misery or helpless, showing compassion and mercy. Jesus again says, blessed are the merciful. He keeps going, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That, that he holds up this value of the kingdom because this kingdom is coming and heaven will invade earth and it'll be this place of complete purity where God can actually dwell. That only with holiness and purity can we actually see God and be connected to God. And, 
And again, this is not a value of the world, right? A value of the world is, is satisfy your desires, do whatever you feel like. But a value of the kingdom is purity and not, not just externally, but of heart, of motives, of methods, purity of morals. This is a high value that Jesus calls us to it in the kingdom. This is in 1 John, talking about holiness. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we, has, what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And again, this is not like at all a, a condemning thing. This is, this, but this is to be a value. This is to be something to pursue, something to cultivate. That again, poor in spirit, right? We can't do that. Like we can't be pure in heart. We need to see God, depend on God that he would purify us and grow us. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God, or the uh, sort of more accurate translation would be sons of God. The peacemakers reflect God's image. And the ultimate peacemaker, Jesus, who leaves heaven and comes to earth and dies in order to make peace. That, that uh, the kingdom is the kingdom of peace. And we are to be people of peace who seek to make peace wherever we go, to reconcile relationships, to bring healing, to bring wholeness, to bring oneness. This is a high value in the kingdom. And lastly, if we're following these, then it's very different right to the world, and the response is persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So not persecuted because we're mean and arrogant, but persecuted because we are living in this kingdom, and people see that and don't like it. People see that and it's confronting, but we stand on it and we hold to it and we live righteous. This gets expanded upon as well. It says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So this is about being aligned with Jesus. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus is saying to, to live in this kingdom, to live out the values, then as, as well to stand on these and hold to these even when being attacked for them, even when being persecuted and rejected for them. That's this vision of the kingdom that he calls us to, right? And the way of, the, way of Jesus is to, is to live with these values, to live with the values of the upside down kingdom, that, that these are actually the things that we use to evaluate ourselves, and say, are we growing? Are we living in the kingdom? What, what are the things that we are pursuing and desiring? It, it needs to be to grow in these. And, and we need God to do that. We can't make ourselves poor in spirit. We need God to even do that, to reveal to us, to help us be meek, to give us purity of heart. This all comes through God. It's, it's a spiritual aspect of spiritual growth. The thing that makes it harder though, right, is that if we're not deliberately pursuing and growing in these, then the, the easy thing is to get pulled into the kingdom of the world, into the culture, which, which is the opposite, right? It's upside down, so it's the opposite, which values externals, not the spiritual realities, which, which values things like comfort, things like riches, things like being satisfied, like feeling good. And particularly our culture, right? Like we have so many ways that we can help ourselves to feel good and feel safe and feel comfortable, like probably more than any other culture in the history of the world. Like we have so many 
technologies and so many things just to make life easy. And we can easily buy into this lie that, that life is meant to be easy and life is meant to be comfortable and, and, and we're just meant to stay safe. But that's different to the kingdom of Jesus. And what happened, there's even a, there's a church in, in Revelation that this seems to have happened to, that they've kind of been pulled away from the values of the kingdom and they've been pulled into the values of the world and then they're evaluating themselves on the values of the world and Jesus is not. Jesus is evaluating themselves on the values of the kingdom. This is what it says. This is Revelation chapter 3, the church of Laodicea. To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness the ruler of God's creation. So Jesus is speaking to this church in Laodicea, and he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. This is a, this is a rebuke to this church. And this is the issue. Jesus, Jesus identifies it. They said, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and don't need a thing. This church has compromised with the values of the world and now are evaluating themselves based on the values of the world and saying, we're doing well with finances, things are going well, maybe there's people coming to church, maybe people are happy, maybe things are going well, like we're good. And they're looking at these external physical things. But Jesus is looking at the spiritual reality and says, no, you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And this is, this is not Jesus just like hitting them, like he, he's loving them. This is what he says next. Those whom I love are rebuke and discipline. He, he loves them, but he's grieved because they've, they've compromised. And because of this compromise, there's this lukewarmness. There's not this passion. There's not this love. So he says, be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. They've, they've moved away from these values and in doing that, they've moved away from Jesus and they think that they're good. They can't see that they're in desperate need. They've lost poor in spirit and then they've lost the other values. And Jesus is standing there and calling them back. He's knocking on the door. He's wanting them to come back to him. And this, is, this, is like, this can be a real temptation for us, there's a guy even in the 80s who God um, spoke to him and he has a book and he talks about how he thinks the church in the West is really in this sort of Laodicean age. And this, um, this quote as well, this is Mark Sayers who kind of comes at that as well. He says, the Western church, blessed with incredible resources, astounding knowledge and know-how, can find itself paralyzed by anxiety. Michael Gowen notes that the church in the West's ability to respond to its high call can be hamstrung by a low spiritual state of the church, a lukewarm love for Christ, a sickly worldliness, and a lack of vital prayer. That this is the temptation, right? That we have so much stuff, we're so used to comfort, we're so used to life working, then we start to evaluate our ministries, our church based on these things, not based on these values of the kingdom and we lose them. And this is a real danger in all of our lives and it's, it's a real danger in our church as well that we have lots of awesome things happening here. There's heaps of good things that happen here and we, we thank God for them and we, we, we're grateful for them. I'm not saying we don't do that. There's awesome things, but, but where are we at spiritually? Like, are we actually valuing these things? Are we actually growing in these things? Like, 
we, we're in danger sometimes of only evaluating ourselves by the externals, not the spiritual reality, and staying poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, following these values of the kingdom and evaluating ourselves based on those. And these, right, go right against that culture. Because this culture, right, of the world is so centered around self and comfort. Whereas the kingdom of God is centered around Jesus and the cross. And it's actually a laying down, a letting go. And that's what all of these are, really. Poor in spirit coming to the end of yourself. Mourning, embracing suffering. Meekness, denying your rights. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, seeking God's righteousness and justice. Being merciful, not demanding what, what is due to you. Being pure in heart, laying down sin, being a peacemaker. Again, laying down maybe rights for the sake of peace. And being persecuted, laying down comfort and pleasure for the sake of the kingdom. Like these values are so countercultural and seem so hard. But this is, this is, we follow Jesus and he takes this and the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. But there's not a cross without a resurrection, which is why Jesus gives these promises, that the promises of this life is the kingdom of heaven, comfort, inheriting the earth, being satisfied with righteousness, mercy, seeing God, being called sons of God, receiving the kingdom of heaven and reward in heaven, that there's amazing promises here, but it involves a cross, it involves a laying down, a surrender. It's this, this losing your life to find it. Whereas this values of the world is almost like safety, security, trying to save our lives, but then Jesus says we lose it. And Jesus, at the end of this letter to Revelation, he says to them, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. That Jesus did this, that Jesus lived the kingdom of heaven lifestyle that involved embracing this suffering, this, this laying down of himself, but he was victorious, that he rose again. And, and the way that he calls us to live is the same, that we embrace these values, that we embrace his way, that's, that's a laying down, that's a, that's a willingness to let go, but that he promises to give us new life and resurrection. So th this is... Th this is I'm not sure where you guys are at today or how, how God might be speaking to you through this. Maybe, maybe you're just feeling grieved today. Maybe you're feeling flat and low. Maybe you're feeling poor in spirit. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Maybe you're longing and hungering for God. And Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and bring those longings and those feelings to him. But maybe you're feeling more just sort of comfortable, self-satisfied, not poor in spirit, not mourning, maybe even numb. And today is an opportunity to turn, to, to repent, for us to repent and come back and say, these are the values of Jesus. And Jesus, we need you. That the starting place is we can't do that. We can't grow in these things. We're desperate for you to change our hearts, for you to change our, our, all of us and grow us so that we can actually achieve what you want us to achieve in your kingdom. And maybe you're there today and maybe today is just a time to come and to, to turn, to repent and ask God to give us this poverty of spirit, this mourning, 
this meekness, this purity that he desires. So I'm going I'm to pray, and, and I just encourage you to respond um, in this last song. How, however you want to respond, to just engage with God with these amazing words that Jesus said. And, and whatever that looks like for you, if that looks like kneeling even, if that looks like coming down the front, if it looks like asking for prayer, I just encourage you to have freedom and just respond however you want to or however you feel like God's leading you. So I'm going to pray, and then, then we'll sing, and we'll finish up. Jesus, thank you so much for your kingdom and that, that your kingdom is so good and so right and it's of the spirit, Lord, it's not of the flesh, but it does come against our flesh. Um, it comes against our desires for comfort and desires for security. And Jesus, I just ask that, that you would cultivate in us by your spirit, Lord, just these values that you hold up of your kingdom. That, they, that these things are good, that these things are right, and that you would just revitalize us spiritually, that, that you would set us on fire for you, that you would just give us a heart for you, Lord, that's so strong and so deep and so powerful. So Jesus, we just ask that you would meet with us now, Lord, that you would just minister to our hearts and do what only you can do. We just pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.